Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch. When it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. It is Sunday, April 25, 2021. Very large week just concluded, oh, Connor, yeah. uh, with the Derek Chauvin verdict yep. in the George Floyd uh, death case. And so the officer, he'll be sentenced in about eight weeks, and he is... Moida. Yeah, murder in uh, the second degree, murder in the third degree, and manslaughter as well. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, defunding the police, whether it should be a progressive rallying cry or not. We'll talk a little bit about Major League Baseball. Um they hate Georgia, but they love Cuba. Did you know that? Hooray! Yeah, they really like uh, hanging out with all the Castro baseball players mm-hmm. 90 miles uh, away. So we're going to talk about all those issues. The um, the Derek Chauvin trial um, wrapped up on Monday final arguments, and the jury was given the case uh, late that day. And they took about 10 hours to uh, decide that uh, the officer was guilty of all three of the of the counts. The judge was really angry with Maxine Waters, the congresswoman from California who flew to Minnesota and gave a speech and said, hey, you know, we better have a guilty verdict to get confrontational. You got to be out in the streets. And later she said, well, she wasn't advocating violence. Uh, she got a real a lot of trouble for that. Were you uh, surprised at the reaction to Maxine Waters' comments by the judge who who actually singled her out by name and said, you know, I'm really tired of uh, people like her, and he mentioned her name, uh, talking about uh, this case. And he said to the defense lawyer, she may have handed you an issue on appeal, which is really extraordinary for him to say. I mean, the guy hadn't even been convicted yet. Yeah. And the judge is really pointedly criticizing her comments. Yeah. I mean, it it may be unusual um, in in that circumstance. Um, I I certainly haven't been involved in a high profile trial where the judge has had strong words um, uh, for uh, for a third party, not even one related. Uh, But judges certainly do hate the idea that they may be overturned on appeal because while they, you know, this judge isn't going to be personally responsible for what Maxine Waters may have said, none of which ever rises to anything like the level of, of jury tampering and will never be overturned on appeal on this basis. But he does not want that 
as a potential outcome. Chris, it really wouldn't be a criticism of him because he isn't making the decision uh, on guilt right. or innocence. That's the jury. Right. And that's now, my point. To the extent wouldn't he, be on he might be criticized for earlier uh, actions or inaction. He didn't move the trial out. Right. But when her comment was coming at the very end. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose in a way he could be criticized because he denied the motion for the mistrial. Right. And because he said, okay, they've been sequestered. I don't have any reason to believe that they've actually been exposed to her. But right. of course, some people pointed out that it especially forces him. if it had gone on for several more days, it, it could well have happened. They either her, either her comment or the president's comment, which he pointedly said, I'm only saying I'm praying for a guilty verdict because they're sequestered. I mean, that could seep through to the jurors. Right. And this judge, by being by this event happening with Maxine Waters making her completely innocuous comments and the right wing media ecosystem say, jumping on it, saying, oh, this is a great opportunity to uh, use a, a villain that we've used before, Maxine Waters, who all our viewers hate. This is fantastic. And playing up this as though it was a story that. And this judge probably a part of that uh, right wing media ecosystem, because many people of his age demographic are he now is forced to make a decision. And there's nothing judges hate more than being forced to make a decision that they could be second-guessed about on appeal. Oh, my God, yeah, they will that, do anything to put it on. That's certainly a general attitude. But, I mean, really, don't you think that he kind of was in the position of sort of a centrist? And, and to say that, that the criticism of Maxine Waters is, you know, is groundless and it's just part of the right-wing ecosystem, I think a lot of Americans, when they heard her say the demonstrators should stay in the street, her phrase, become more confrontational if Chauvin is found not guilty. I mean, the, there would have been violence, serious violence, if this jury had come back and said not guilty. And I think most fair-minded people would hear Maxine Waters' comments and think that's throwing gasoline on that fire. I, I don't really think that's a, a Sean Hannity thing. No, it absolutely is. Because... The, the 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 fact of the matter is there should have been confrontational protests where the American people go get out in the streets and make their voices heard if there had been uh, the the wrong verdict. That is how change happens in this country. That's it, how riots happen. It's how riots happened with the Rodney King uh, situation in the nineties. It's how the the women were march. unhappy about the cops getting right. off in Simi Valley. Yes, and within a couple of hours, there was a multi day riot with dozens and dozens of people killed. Yeah, and it, it this is also how you inspire uh, uh, political change via the women's march in D.C. and uh, the Martin Luther King marching on Washington. This is, you know, the, the, the wrong thing happening in the American justice system and political system and civil rights not happening when it needs to happen. And then people taking to the streets to march is how things get done in America, because things do not get done through the ordinary political process, which is owned and controlled completely by big money corporate interests. The, the military industrial complex, the school to prison pipeline, the, you know, Halliburtons of the world. We can call them conspiracy theorists, but we also know that capital money talks, capital controls, and that things are not going to change when the two parties can just say, well, what if we don't do anything, change anything, improve anything? And will people just put up with it? And yeah, if people put up with it, then nothing will change. You don't get movement without in-the-street protest movements. Now, I'm not advocating for a riot. Maxine Waters was not advocating for a riot. Do you think that Maxine Waters wanted anybody to burn down a target? No, of course not. Do you think Maxine Waters was telling anybody, if there's a bad verdict, 
burn down a target. No. Did I don't think she'd be terribly unhappy if somebody burned down a target. Nor would I. But she'd be terribly unhappy if somebody died. And so would I. Because we want... Well, you can't just burn down a target without the risk of somebody dying. You can take action. Get out in the streets. Make your voices heard. As we did during the Black Lives Matter protests during this pandemic year as people went out there. Nobody died. A lot of people got tear gassed by overly trigger happy, violent police officers, but nobody died when people, you know, looted some target and, you know, wherever it was eight months ago and stole some TVs or whatever. Nobody died. They did that because they were angry. The the riot is the is the language of the unheard. And fortunately, nobody died. And that's great. Well, you know, the we're listening to a little noise in the background concerning an interview of a, of a juror, an alternate juror in the Chauvin case, and and that person's uh, that person's uh, comments were along the lines of, you know, I would have been concerned about my safety if I'd been on the jury and if we had uh, if we had voted not guilty, mm-hmm. and that's that's of great concern to me because I think these life and death decisions should be made without any kind of pressure. Uh, with jurors thinking, well, if I don't vote for guilt, uh, then, you know, somebody's going to show up uh, at my house. And that is literally what this alternate juror said. I wouldn't be surprised if the defense is scurrying around trying to get declarations from the regular jurors uh, about whether or not they share her feelings. And if they do, that probably is going to be uh, exhibit A in, in uh, Chauvin's appeal. There will always be the potential for pearl clutching and saying, well, what if, second guessing the, the jurors and saying, well, what if they well, used the wrong... pearl clutching, is that really fair? I mean, don't, wouldn't you be uh, concerned uh, in the same way as this alternate juror uh, was uh, about you know, some sort of uh, violence against you personally? If you, uh, and she was saying, and others were speculating that if they had voted not guilty, within hours, their names would have been leaked to the press because some people you know, know their names. They, they tried to keep them anonymous. I mean, isn't that a concern? Isn't that worse than pearl clutching? I mean, you don't want jurors to be worried about their personal safety based on how they vote. No, you don't want jurors to be worried about their personal safety. Absolutely. That is an incontrovertible incontrovertible fact. But we are not talking about any facts relating to the odds of their uh, names getting leaked, the odds of somebody coming after them, the odds of someone actually being successful in harming them or harassing them. We're not talking about that. We're speaking in the absolute, complete abstract before anything happened in the hypothetical alternate world where the verdict went the other way and saying, what if, what if, what if, what if I'm just asking questions. And there's a lot of just asking questions out there that is used to stir up uh, 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 outrage on the side of people who want to find an excuse why this uh, verdict can't be uh, the the result of a, a free uh, uh, and, and fair decision by these jurors. It just can't be because you know what? These cops are out here protecting us. They're laying their lives on the line. They're overall good people. And you know what? It's just the guy got railroaded. And I'll tell you what, I'm worried about the jurors. The jurors might have been intimidated. What? Why? Why are you worried that the jurors might be intimidated? On what basis are we actually worried? Do we have well, studies? Well, statement where, by the alter, alternate juror. Do yeah. we have studies that show any of this? No. Is it possible to study it? Maybe not. I get that. Maybe it's impossible. Might, might be because, tough to study because it. you know jurors are the, the sanctity of the of what goes on in the jury room is you know complete, and we don't we don't examine it. But 
we're speaking without basis or evidence here. We're completely speculating. And to complete, spend all of our time completely speculating on, well, what if the jury uh, didn't make a fair decision because maybe they were intimidated, is to play into the narrative of the people who just want to talk about anything other than this is evidence of police brutality. It's evidence of a horrific system, and we have to do something about it. And you know what that thing is? It's abolish the police. It's defund the police. They need to be gone. They need to be done. They well, need to have no guns. They need to not be pressing people's necks into asphalt. Funny you should mention that. We're going to talk about that when we come back from our break. It was an intentional segue, Should Should we defund the police and abolish prisons? Because controversial, uh, Connor has some uh, views on that topic. Yeah, but before we go, please be reminded uh, about how great, fantastic, and wonderful our show is. And if you like our great, wonderful, fantastic show, check us out on... On whatever podcast platform you use, that's probably Apple Podcasts because you're probably a, a mindless Apple drone like all of us. Uh, and if it's not, then it's Stitcher or Spotify or Podcast Addict or wherever else you get your podcast. Check us out. Hit the subscribe button. Don't just download us randomly whenever you feel like it. You'll love it. it getting your ep- weekly episode pushed to you every single time it comes out, fresh, hot off the presses, so it's as new as possible. And uh, leave us a review. You know, give us a five-star review and leave a comment talking about how crazy Connor is uh, for wanting to tear down the universe. (laughs) We'll be right back on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Laura Lopes. And I'm Connor Lopes. So, you know, this business about uh, defunding the police and and abolishing prisons, and I've been preaching for months. I've been giving my unsolicited advice to the left. I'm saying, now, you know, you really shouldn't be saying this because you're going to lose elections, I'm Uh, thinking. uh, uh, Concern trolling. No, No, excuse me. I'm sorry. I sneezed. Why would I? I'm sorry. It was a sneeze, and it came out sounding like concern trolling for some reason. It was a complete coincidence. So why would Royal want to help these folks? But let me give you my take on just sort of the, the general idea uh, of crime, yeah. and, and you can give me your, your solution. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was looking up the Department of Justice statistics. Uh, we've got 367 million violent crimes per year in this country. Homicide, rape, robbery, aggravated assault. By the way, our population is only 328 million, so we have more than one violent crime per citizen. Uh, every year, 60 million Americans have encounters with cops. 60 million Americans. Uh, of those 60 million, 10 million get arrested by police every year. Of those 10 million arrests, 2 million of those arrests involved officers threatening or using force. Of those 2 million officers threatening or using force, uh, 2,000 officer-involved shootings each year occur. And of the 2,000 shootings, 1,000 people per year are shot and killed by cops. So out of 367 million violent crimes, we have 1,000 shot or killed. That's if you've got your calculator, 0.00027%, which, by the way, according to the uh, actuaries, say that's almost exactly the same uh, chance as getting struck by lightning. So the Washington Post has created a database of every known deadly police shooting in America in the last six years, and, and about 6,000 people have been shot and killed by law enforcement officers. Uh, they put together a, a chart, and they did it by race, and, and they said, okay, uh, white people, 76% of the population, blacks, 13%, Hispanics, 17%. Of the, the white people uh, who were arrested for homicide, 44% of the homicide arrests are white, 53% blacks, 21% Hispanics. And of the robbery arrests, uh, 43% white 
Blacks 54%. The final piece of the puzzle is the percentage of police killings of unarmed people. It's 46% uh, are white and 26% are black. And you say, well, okay, so that that's kind of scary because there are only 13% of the population black people, but 26% are victims of the police killings when they're unarmed. But then you go to the other columns in the chart and you notice the stats about 44% of homicide arrests are white people, 53% are black. So what do you take from all of these? I'm not sure what you take, except uh, we have a, a really serious problem in terms of uh, crime in this country. Uh, the murder rate jumped to the highest rate ever last year uh, after the spring, and people are trying to figure out why. All of this suggests to me that we really desperately need police and we really desperately need to get rid of the bad cops, whether it's one tenth of one percent or five percent or 20 percent. So why wouldn't that be the most prudent approach as to as opposed to saying, oh, my gosh, uh, I sense we have a serious problem here. Let's actually defund the police. Let's take guns away from cops and and see how that works. Well, I'll say this. If you have 360 million violent crimes in a country and your solution to crime is to give some people guns and have them arrest some people and shoot some other people. Right. And then 50 years later, 100 years later, 120 years later, you still have the same massive number of murders, rapes, robberies, everything else. Doesn't that tell you there are a lot of bad people in our society? Doesn't that tell you that policing isn't working at all? I don't know. Doesn't it tell you that if you have 360 million violent crimes, but we're giving billions of tax dollars to a bunch of guys to run around and play Rambo and shoot everybody, it's not working. Cops don't solve crimes. Cops don't prevent crimes. Cops well, show up. Some crimes. They I absolutely mean, he, don't. They you, show up it, after crimes have been committed, and they tell you, ah, there's really just not a lot I can do. I'll kick it up to my supervisor, but you're never going to get your stuff back. I hope you had insurance. Oh, your friend's dead. That's great. We're really not going to solve proportionally. We're not going to solve this crime. Well, we don't solve the vast majority of crimes. a lot of people see things differently. Wouldn't you need to point to kind of a laboratory, an experiment in, in other countries that have defunded the police and, and show shown that it works. And yes, and that able- is absolutely what the left has been doing for years. Now, I can't quote to you which of those countries have the highest success rates uh, of, of, say, the Western European countries where they don't have cops uh, with guns running around, which is to say all of them, and they all have lower murder rates than the United States. Well, we would and want the- those stats, though, wouldn't we? Because, for example, Portugal is such an, an amazing, wonderful example of drug legalization, yeah. and it's been a fabulous success, yeah. and yet we totally ignore it in this country. Yeah. Wouldn't we want sort of a Portugal as an example where they defunded the police and or and or abolished prisons before we actually took those steps? Absolutely, we have those data. We are looking at them. We're staring. They're smacking us in the face over and over and oh. over again, saying Germany and Norway and England and France right. and Spain and all these countries have lower murder rates, lower rates of violent rapes, lower rates of robberies and muggings. And everything right. else they have and the the rights explanation for that is well we have so many guns here uh but we also can't get well, rid of got any of those cops guns. and prisons in those countries though 
They have very different policing systems and very different prison systems. The U.S. has an incredible, unbelievable, unfathomably large percentage of its population incarcerated. We incarcerate more people than anywhere in the world, including communist China, scary red China, or any other terrible nightmare, uh, you know, country that we can conceive of to compare ourselves to. We incarcerate more people and they're disproportionately people of uh, of of color and who come from disadvantaged backgrounds. This is the problem. This is why you need to defund the police. This is why you need to abolish the police. However, you want to strategize around that or describe that. Fundamentally, the if you say, I just want to reform the police, the message you are sending is policing is broken. Like there are some bugs in the system. There are some bad apples. Everybody forgets the second half of bad apples, by the way. Bad apples ruin the bunch. That's literally the point of the saying, right. by the way. But they go, oh, it's just some bad apples that ruin the bunch. Yes, we know. It ruins the bunch. You have to change the system of apple storage because the bad apples are screwing up society for everybody. But you also, we also realize that we train people to be bad apples and then put them in there and then they poison the bunch. But that's not the point. The point is... Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. The, the bad guys go to the bank and they're bumping off the bank and, and the lady behind the, the teller's office pushes the button. And so the, the cops uh, would normally show up with guns blazing and, and hopefully catch the, the bank robbers. If there aren't any police, who's going to stop the bank robbers? But that's not how crime happens. Uh, in the, the movies, the it the is. Fast, fast, And, and in fast the newspapers, we report, I mean, if bank robberies happen. Yes. Bank robberies. So what do you do bank robberies if there happen. are no cops? Bank robberies happen. And you can still have people with guns that show up when there is a bank robbery in progress. But you absolutely do not need to spend billions and billions and billions on weapons of war to fund an, a literal occupying so you're army you're, you're, to you have a different view the streets. From the people who literally say there should all be no cops. At no, all. I, I, no, absolutely. Because there's nobody out there who says that the way that we should, no reasonable person out there, no a reasonable leftist even or extreme leftist out there who says there should be no person so on the other. It's a matter of degree end. and funding. Yes, but you you cannot say I want to reform the police because the point of the police is to protect the status quo. The status quo is not quo. The status quo is not right, fair or just. We must radically change the entire system. And take the billions of dollars in tax money, plus billions of dollars more that we're spending on a bunch of other crap we don't need, and use it to solve the problems that lead to crime. Crime is the result of lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of things. There is no smart, sane crime scientist or or, statistician or political scientist or sociologist or anybody who will tell you that having more cops with more guns— even better trained cops with more guns will lead to a lower incidence so of crime. It's it just then, not the case. I take it you then also disagree with the, the folks who, who literally say there shall be no carceral state, no no prisons. I assume that you believe that if somebody is caught after murdering somebody or robbing a bank, that they should be locked up There for are time. many, 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 many countries on this planet that deal with murder in a much more sane and rational way. Now, to speak about, first of all, it is a complete non sequitur change of the topic of conversation to center every time we talk about the existence of the police, which is what happens in American politics, to center the talk about the existence of the police on, well, what about 
Charlie Manson, Hannibal Lecter, only well, people who can't What about can't Derek Chauvin? Derek Chauvin deserves to go to prison, right? To be a prison, prison abolitionist on the day that Derek Chauvin is sentenced to prison is a massively painful and complicated day because, yes, I would like to personally extract the toenails from every bad person that I know committed murder and crimes. And I would love to see them suffer because I am a fallible human who has weakness in my heart and I want revenge. But revenge is not justice. And to say that, well, Derek Chauvin well, deserves prison it, it, be, just because bad people deserve prison. It would prison. discourage a lot of people that, from doing bad things if they knew they were going to wind up in prison. But that's really that's really not how human psychology or society works. Oh, it doesn't. Are you sure? I am sure. I am sure that given the fact that we have 360 violent a million, as you put it, I'm using your number here, yeah. 361 million violent yeah. crimes every year well, in the, the United Department States. Department of Justice obviously, and I share the number. Obviously, the threat of permanent and incredibly overzealous incarceration it does not dissuade I'm, people. Because I'm thinking there'd have been even more if that, we didn't have any prisons. That's the insane fallacy of it. That's where our brains go. That is why our brains don't work when we think about crime. Because when somebody says to you, what about murder? Instantly, mm. your adrenal gland literally releases adrenaline and you think, I don't want to die of murder that's right. not how that's not how society is built or designed you can't think well, about even if it doesn't well i need perfect folks. freedom yeah. i need if hannibal lecter exists i need a swat team of a thousand dudes with rocket propelled grenades to descend on his house and blow up the buffalo bill pit it must happen and it has to happen yesterday well that's not how you build a society even if it is no one terrific, can promise you perfect freedom even if it isn't a terrific deterrent i mean when you lock somebody up for 20 years you are preventing them from uh, perf- uh, committing those five crimes per year that they would have uh, committed. So you've just saved people from 100 crimes, right? Because those are statistics. They, we know that people you know, don't just commit one crime. That, that you know, we, we know, for example, about five a year is what, but is what people are committing. But imagine that you spend $100 billion building the Supermax prison to house him. And because you build the supermax prison to house him and therefore prevent those 20 crimes by committing a crime yourself, by locking this person away and giving them no way back into society uh, ever again, by doing that, you're not taking that $20 billion or $200 billion or whatever and using it. To better society in a way that would prevent him and everybody he's but you ever want to do met, both, who's don't also you, don't you, know, you want to have a lot of spending on social welfare programs, yes. but also enough to house the people who really deserve to be locked up, and enough to pay for the cops that you really need, even if it's a smaller force, you really need some to show up at the bank and stop the bank robbers. You need such a small amount of guys with guns on a SWAT team to show up when there are bank robberies. Such an incredibly, unbelievably, infinitesimally small a number of those guys and to spend so much, so little money on them that it is effectively zero dollars compared to what we currently spend. So saying abolish the police is more correct than saying reform or defund or anything that's lesser. Even defund is I mean, it's pretty gentle when it comes to the alternative being really we should not have cops. If you ha- if you I firmly believe that if you had a society where there was no SWAT team and that people could rob banks and 
they we would have a system of people that would say, you know, detective style show up afterwards, try to figure out who did this, try to serve warrants on them, try to slowly find them, try to track them down using modern technology and everything else. But these people knew that they were 100 percent going to get away with it because there was no SWAT team coming to stop them. There would be fewer bank robberies. Because instead, you would take that money that funds SWAT teams and well, you would pay, make people make sure that people didn't have that weren't ingesting an incredible amount of lead through the, their drinking water and through the paint that fills their public schools and their public housing and everything else as they were growing up so that they have brain damage so they can't make the right decisions in life so that they rob banks. You can prevent bank robberies from ever happening instead of deciding that bank robberies will happen and then just showing up to shoot everybody. It's the worst possible solution to making a good society. And the only reason that we got here is because we're at a Pareto equilibrium. It's a statistical... Say what? A Pareto equilibrium is a game theory term that says, well, given the circumstances that we're currently in, nobody in this game of society, of life, and of our political system can make a better move than we're currently making from here based on the current rules. Now, that's like a local minimum. Think of a chart, and there's a dip in the chart, and we're sitting in the bottom of the dip. And if we could get out of either side of the dip, either direction, we could then go up and up and up and up and up and, and succeed and do better and better or do way, 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 way worse. But at the current moment, no one can make a better move. Because guess what? 200 years ago, Society was like, wow, we're all rich white men. We'll make all the rules. We need a system to track down slaves that escape across state lines. So, hey, we're going to put political pressure on the non-slave states to have roving bands of slave catchers that we will offer to pay for to track down the escaped slaves and bring them back to their masters. That became the police. There is no way to think of, no rational way to think of, under a historically informed perspective, to think of policing as doing anything other than massively succeeding in 2021. Policing is doing exactly what it was designed to do 200 years ago. Keep the have-nots as have-nots, keep the poors down, keep the anybody who's not the people who are in power away from my power and resources. They're succeeding admirably. They're doing so great. And guess what? The system is such that we're in a Pareto equilibrium. No one can escape it without changing the rules of the game. You must change the rules of the game or else every single good cop and good lawyer who has political power and money and could run for office, who has speech, they can vote, they can donate money, they can volunteer their time, they can support some candidate who's a whack. They can do whatever they want. And guess what? The system is is built so that nothing changes. It has to be built so that nothing changes because if the system was built such that anything changes, it would change in that direction until the system changes. It's like a ratchet, right? Like you crank, 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 but it can't go backwards. Things crank, 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 crank until the rules change such that you can't crank anymore and then they stop. That's how the, that's just how things work. They stopped and therefore they cannot move anymore. They cannot go any further than that. And everything just cranks in every direction trying to make the world better until the established power, the people who have power in the, in the current status quo say, nope, that's enough. That's too much. Stop it. And they change the rules so that you can't improve anything anymore because it would require restructuring that takes away their power and influence. Speaking of <laughs> cops and lawyers, Hi, when Gary. when we come back, when we come back, <laughs> we're going to second guess the lawyers for Derek Chauvin and talk a little bit about the uh, tactics in that trial. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. 
This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, I'm curious as to what you would have done if you were defending Derek Chauvin. The trial's gone along. Yeah. The prosecution's pretty strong. Yep. Uh, 38 witnesses and for weeks, and then the defense puts on seven witnesses, and not so strong. Yeah. And so, I, you know, i got to believe that both the lawyer and Chauvin figured that uh, things were not looking good. I mean, theoretically, uh, they could win. And that wasn't going to happen. 12-0 for not guilty. Give me a break. Yeah, no way. Theoretically, there could have been a hung jury. It just takes one. And there were a couple of, you know, blue lives matter. I think all lives matter type folks on the jury. So yeah. it wouldn't be a horrible shock, really, to to find one person. But they, they couldn't count on that. So they passed up the chance for Derek Chauvin to take the stand. Why, why do you think that? Do you think that Chauvin would have come across, and, and he and his lawyer knew it, so horribly that it just would have made it worse? But how do you pass up the chance to, right, to tearfully, remorsefully pass, right? yeah. look the jury in the eye and throw the Hail Mary pass and say, I am so sorry, I had no intention that this yeah. guy uh, ever died. I thought I was following the police procedure. Well, I mean, are, are we being kind of silly to second guess and the Monday morning quarterback? Or, I mean, why in the world wouldn't he have testified? Yeah, I mean, I hear you. I, I think it's easy for us to say because, because we saw the video and we um, probably formed our own opinions. We decided what the right outcome was going to be. And then you get so entrenched in that. And, you know, I watch this and I think, like, how could they possibly change? How could they be persuaded by the stuff that the defense attorney is selling? Yeah, but they can still say, OK, he's guilty of manslaughter uh, and we're going to go that way, yeah. but not guilty of murder in the second but degree I, or third I, degree. I really think that you need to that less. I, I it's hard to it's hard to play defense uh, uh, devil's advocate and, and advocate for Chauvin's lawyer lawyer strategy because it does seem like it was a mistake in, in hindsight. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not gonna disagree with you. But to try to give him the most the lawyer the most possible credit for the strategic decisions that he made, it's he wasn't really trying to change people's minds. If I were in his spot, thank God I never put myself in his spot, but if I were in his spot, he's looking at a jury of people who he knows every single piece of evidence, including Chauvin's testimony, is extremely likely to stack up in favor of this guy's guilty and should get murder. And therefore, his best hope is to end this thing as fast as possible so that he gets the 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 chauvin sympathizers into the jury room before they hear too much evidence from the prosecution before they you know hear chauvin get up there and say word one because if you you know if you have the facts against you the worst possible thing you can do is have your guy get up on the stand so and get cross-examined. So it could only have gotten worse if, yeah. if, he, if he had subjected himself to, right. to the cross-examination. If you have somebody who's just pro-police, period, and is not is not going to uh, convince a cop, I mean, convict a cop, the danger is that you will lose that person over the course of further testimony and uh, uh, trial proceeding. And so you just get them into that jury room and make sure that they're you know, I'm never going to uh, stop a cop because cops are my friends, because cops are my parents, because my cops are my 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 neighbors, because I, I have called the cops and had them save my literal life before. That's the person you have to hold out hope is on that jury. Mm-hmm. That's your way out 
is that you have enough people on that jury that they talk to each other and they say, look, let's stay strong here. Look, I, this guy is getting railroaded. And yeah, 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 you heard a lot of stuff out there. But the more days of stuff that you hear out there, the more it might stack up. So I can see a, a theoretically uh, sound strategy from a defense lawyer defending a clearly guilty man saying, look, we're not putting this guy on the stand. We're, we're just going to throw up a bunch of smoke. Uh, have some doctors come in and talk about toxicology and leave open the door of reasonable doubt. We're not going to put the guy on the stand. Yeah, you can put a, fa- a humanizing face on this murderer. You can also put a face to evil and let people into the world of who this guy is and let them say, OK, well, give him a juror who doesn't get to see the defendant testi- testify might give him the benefit of the doubt, might say, well, he's going to get up there and he's going to say, oh, and then they build in their narrative the best possible thing that he would have said. And anything he says is going to fall short of that. And he's going to seem more fallible, weaker, less likely uh, that he you know, had the best of intentions. So the other question I had was, why didn't the prior relationship work relationship between Chauvin and Floyd get into the trial. Neither side Very talked weird. about it. You'd yeah. think that one side or the other would say, oh, I think this will help me. Apparently, uh, Chauvin and Floyd uh, were both security guards and some sort of private security side gig or something. And uh, they, so they knew each other. Right. And so that raises a question. Okay, here's this guy with his knee on the guy's neck and uh, holding it on much longer than anybody thought he should, including his fellow police or kind of trying to get him to come up. Uh, you know, what was going on? Was there some sort of backstory? I don't know if you've heard any details in the in the press about really the nature of their relationship, but you'd think one side to the other would, would figure that would help them. Yeah, you'd think, but it's entirely possible that it might have helped one side and there was just no way to really know uh, which side it would have helped to bring up. And if you delve into it, the the problem with with lawyers who are human beings is that they're risk. Well, some. Yeah, it's true. Is that they're risk averse in many ways. Sh- These guys. Sh- sharks, uh, pit bulls, right. um, bottom feeding invertebrates. These are all lawyers, Connor. And, right, right, and th- right. they're not human. You, That's true. You'd agree That's with that. Absolutely true. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, uh, imagine, you're, imagine you're the uh, defense attorney for Derek Chauvin, or you'd imagine you're the prosecutor uh, prosecuting Derek Chauvin. If the prosecutor thinks he has a strong case, which he did, he doesn't want to open up the door to this weird, murky, prior personal relationship thing. I mean, what if information comes out about it? What if something that they had no idea come? I mean, they, they you can do an investigation and talk to people, but you never know what's going to happen when you introduce a, a variable, especially a weird, murky variable like this at trial. You can't always control what's going to happen. And lawyers are control freaks, largely, and they want to, you know, make sure that everything they say on that in that trial is basically a lot of them are like this scripted. They I want to make sure if that the we prosecution this point this wanted point the, this the point. jury to think that uh, Chauvin was a racist who killed Floyd because he was black. And if that's true, yeah. the prior relationship would not fit in with the race narrative necessarily. It yeah, might, it might. It might just it. be two coworkers who didn't like each other, yeah. and maybe that's why the prosecution. Everybody's had a coworker yeah. who doesn't like uh, that they don't like. Uh, maybe nobody's considered murdering them, but they've had conflicts with coworkers, interpersonal relationships of that type. Whereas once you paint somebody as a racist, you definitely they're the other, right? right? Now, now you it, can if claim, you maintain that, right? You can claim. That it sure looks like it was a, a racist act for him to have his knee on his neck because the cop is white and George Floyd is black. 
I believe that there was no actual evidence presented in the Chauvin trial uh, to support the idea that Chauvin was a racist and, and hated black people generally. No, they they didn't go into that. And they didn't go into that for the exact reason that even if you had some evidence of it, it is very inflammatory to call somebody a racist and as a well, lot if it's of, true it's true i mean you'd want to you'd offer it i mean that's why the well, federal government in the rodney king case had the the opportunity for a second trial against the cops because they said hey you you beat him up because he was black yeah yeah but you need really strong evidence of in an individual's uh, you know, p- past racist acts in order to prove that because people want to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Right. People want to say this guy is just a probably a good guy. He's a cop. I like I like cops. You know, they do they try to do their best yeah. and put their lives on the line. You got to overcome the pre right. disposition. And a lot of people presented this as uh, an example of systemic racism yeah. uh, of racism by cops against black. people. Well, those are two very different things. Well, they, but both of those those themes were expressed by a lot of people in connection with the show. Trial. Yeah. In the absence of any evidence that Chauvin was a racist, was it really appropriate to Absolutely. advance those arguments? Absolutely, Why? because systemic racism is, ex- that's exactly what systemic racism is. Systemic racism is well-meaning, potentially non-hateful, good people. Chauvin was well-meaning? No, no. The, the, the systemic racism says, even if you have well-meaning, kind, thoughtful, good people, you put them into a system, racist outcomes come out the other side. But That's how, the problem. How did systemic racism cause Chauvin to choose to leave his knee on Floyd's neck even after Floyd went limp? Well, let's say you have a good person. Let's theorize that Derek Chauvin is a good person who doesn't have a racist bone in his body. Okay. Doesn't have a hateful bone in his body. Perhaps he has been conditioned by a lifetime in the United States of America, pumped full of super black people are super predators, bull crap propaganda his entire life. But we don't know that that was in his head any more than we know that he was actual uh, uh, an actual racist who hated George Floyd because George Floyd was black. So the point of systemic racism is you don't have to know that any individual in the system is racist. And in fact, the vast majority of them it's probably a, aren't. It's almost it like to, step to, to argue for systemic racism, you don't actually have to prove that people are racist. That's exactly the point, is that how the, the, the question is, how do you, how do we, a society full of people who we like to think are not racist, have such incredibly racist outcomes in our society, and our lives, our economy is horrifically racist. Our healthcare system is horrifically racist. Black women. Well, I'm here women- to tell you, having lived for the last uh, sixty plus years, yeah. that every single decade I've lived and had some level of consciousness. Right. Like 60, 1953. 70. You weren't exactly yeah. politically aware. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I've lived with some sort of level of consciousness in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. In my um, personal experience, I think uh, America generally. Uh, people I've come into contact with uh, are less racist every single decade. You, you think I'm nuts? No, I, I don't think you're nuts. Well, I think that no, it's, let's celebrate. Let's go out and enti- get a steak dinner. This is en- good news. It's entirely possible that people yeah. are getting less and less racist, and maybe yeah. even they're way less racist yeah. than they were in the past, in the sense that they are less hateful of people of different races. Yeah. But 
the problem sounds like good news to me it is am i missing something great news the problem is what if you have a system let's theorize hypothesize for just a second you have a system where every year people get less hateful towards one another but the outcomes in terms of healthcare and education and opportunity and achievement and everything else stay exactly the same, get worse, or only improve by 5%. But aren't the outcomes getting better? Well, Every decade, the civil rights laws get stronger, and now we have Obamacare to supplement Medicaid and Medicare Let's say and that so we've on. got a black president now, and things are 5% better than they were five years ago, and 5% better than that. But what if the rates of hatefulness in society against black people are dropping by 10 and 20 and 15 and 30%? Well, who knows? At at the same time that life is only getting 5% better. This is the problem with systemic racism. We are at a Pareto equilibrium where the rules prevent us from improving things as fast as we should be improving them. And people are, it it is a Pareto equilibrium where we can't break the rules and change things for the better because it is so easy to point out and go, look, you've got a black president. Look, you got a conviction in the Derek Chauvin case. You should sit down and shut up now. You don't care. You shouldn't care about the Flint water crisis where black people are drinking lead and getting brain damage because you got a guilty verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial. Again, we have accomplished on this podcast, Connor, the two of us, me at the libertarian end of you, coming together because you realize what we've done. What? We've agreed on where the level is in the glass. I just think the glass is half full and you think it's half empty. We've agreed. In a way, maybe. But I would say that the, the conclusion that the glass is half full is the problem. So well, we, gonna, I would say Your Honor, I'm going to move to strike Connor's last comment because I think I wrapped this up pretty well. We're agreed on the level of the, the water. Water in the glass. What a, what a great podcast we've just gotten into the books, Connor. It felt like we've about six podcasts. Plain. Well, maybe three or four. Yeah. Everybody have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time on Too Many Lawyers. <laughs>